Hello there, I'm Gaia. And I'm Connell. And this is the Monochrome Picture Show. We met during the pandemic, when we were both studying cinema in the Netherlands. Now, three years later, I'm doing my PhD in cinema, and Connell is writing fiction and film criticism for Fanfare and Frame Rated. We figured we talk about movies all the time anyway, so why not share it with others? Join us each week as we talk about one movie per episode. As Connell publishes his reviews and essays, we dive into each of them in an interview format. If you like what we do and would like to check out more of our work, older episodes and reviews, go to themonochromepictureshow.com or find us on Instagram at themonopic. If you haven't seen the movies yet, beware, each episode contains spoilers. Hello and welcome to the Monochrome Picture Show, this is episode 11. Today we'll talk about Lifeboat by Alfred Hitchcock. Before we dive into it, let us give you a short summary of the plot. Lifeboat revolves around nine survivors of a Nazi torpedo ship attack who find themselves in the same lifeboat with a man who sunk the ship. This is Alfred Hitchcock's first first chamber drama. Yeah, Mm. yeah. You and I both love chamber dramas. Yeah. But the first question that I wanted to ask you today before we dive into your review is why would you say that chamber dramas are great first? Mm. And then if you have some other recommendations of which other great chamber dramas people should watch. Mm. Jeez, there's a lot of reasons to love chamber dramas, I think. First of all, I think it always demonstrates great writing Mm. because if there's a lot of tension in the chamber drama and ideally there would be, it shows what little you need Mm. to build a good foundation of suspense, drama, and a tense environment. And I think if the writing's very good, you find that you actually don't need a lot at all in order to um, create that. Uh, there, There are a lot of good chamber dramas I've seen. I remember we watched... My Dinner with Andre. I, I remember distinctly feeling that it wasn't a very good chamber drama because mm. there wasn't a lot of drama. Mm. It was more just a philosophical dialogue. It was more like a chamber. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It was just a dialogue between two people over dinner and it didn't actually really lead to anything dramatic happening. Right. So I think, as you just um, funnily pointed out, you do need drama in the chamber drama to make it mm-hmm. um, worth watching. Though lots of people like My Dinner with Andre. I'm oh, yeah. just not really one of them. Mm. But so if you would have to suggest some mm. some chamber dramas for people to watch, which ones would they be? Oh, there. Well, Hitchcock made a couple of chamber dramas. I think he did four. Mm. Though I, I suppose it depends on how you classify what a chamber drama is. Mm. because. So give us a definition of a chamber drama, of what a chamber mm. drama is. Well, ideally a chamber drama is contained within one location mm-hmm. and, and also it takes place over a given period of time so mm. it's not going to stretch out for years and years mm. but it's um, going to be probably the length of the film mm. that is so the diegetic time so the time in the film world matches the 
time that it takes to watch it. But mm-hmm. that is often broken. You know, yeah. they, they don't always follow that. And I suppose actually uh, Hitchcock made what is arguably the purest chamber drama ever in Rope. Yes. Which came out in 1948, so four years after he made Lifeboat, which was his first chamber drama. Mm-hmm. And Rope, I think, is the purest chamber drama you can see because it takes place in a living room. Mm-hmm. That's it. The camera never cuts, mm-hmm. I mean, in theory. Yeah. Uh, they, they had to make cuts yeah, because yeah. they were still using film reels. But you don't notice it does cut. Like It's supposed to be one long Continue. take. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can notice them because... He, well, yeah. yeah, okay, but you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed to mind yeah, exactly. that they're there. Yeah, of course. Um, it was still an incredible formal achievement mm-hmm. uh, back then. Yeah. Uh, but also, so it takes place in a living room mm-hmm. over an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it's mm. incredibly tense and nail-biting. It's a wonderful film. Yeah. Uh, and he did it again. Six years after that, he did two chamber dramas in 1954. So he did Dial M for Murder mm-hmm. and Rear Window, which I mm-hmm. think is his best film. Even though Rear Window... Mm-hmm. Yeah, qualifies as a chamber drama, but also it doesn't at the same time because a lot of scenes are shot watching, like looking at the opposite building, even though we're never there. Yeah. You know, so that's a bit of a I can see modification of the I, chamber. I, I, chamber. I, that's what I mean. So yeah. the, the rules are there, but they're, they're very meant to be often, broken. They're often broken, yeah. <laughs> um, mm. uh, Carnage is another good one. I think mm. that was 2011. Roman Polanski directed movie. it yeah. with um, Christoph Waltz. Mm. Um, Kate Winslet Kate Winslet that's it John C. Riley and Jodie Foster Jody. yeah and just so that's what I mean just four people in a room with the MacGuffin if mm. you want is the child of one uh, one pair of parents hit the other with a stick with a stick and, and that's it <laughs> that's all you needed to create I love that film yeah to create an hour and a half of tension yeah it's really good Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Angry Men. Oh yeah, that's another mm, uh, maybe classic. even better than Rope. I would say. Mm, I don't know. No. They're both. I wouldn't compare them. I would just say they're both fantastic. They and are just both go fantastic. watch them if you haven't. Yeah. Uh, is there any other chamber drama you can think of? Oh mm. uh, well, I can think of one. Perfect yeah. Strangers. Perfetti sconosciuti. Yes, I. By Paolo Genovese. Great film. That's go, a, go that's a really it. good film. Yeah. They're just uh, conversations over a dinner. Yep. And it becomes really really tense. Wonderful. Uh, another good one is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm. early 90s, mm. with Al Pacino, Jack Lemmon, Kevin Spacey. Uh, it's a terrific cast. Mm. Alec Baldwin as well. Uh, Alan Arkin. Mm. It's really, really fantastic film. And okay. it was based on a play. And actually, you can see that a really good chamber drama can be done as a play mm. without needing to modify anything. Yeah. Rope could be done as yeah. a play. Actually, Reservoir Dogs is another good example of a chamber drama. Mm-hmm. The Thing uh, from 1982, mm. you could probably say that's a chamber drama as well. Yeah, the thing is that I suppose it doesn't have to be the same room, but mm-hmm. it has to be the same space. Yeah. So somewhere you can walk to, I suppose, yeah. or something, some some place that it's contained within the same mm-hmm. walls or something mm-hmm. like that. So for example, an apartment instead of a room. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah. And Reservoir Dogs, I mean, he, Tarantino breaks that rule by showing us things that happened before, but nothing after. It's all of the contemporary drama happens in 
one location. Yeah. So yeah, the the rules are there, but as you said, they're made to be broken. Yeah. I don't know if the thing qualifies because of this reason, because mm. they go and check the other camp. They, oh, that's you true. Know, but yeah. that's the general yeah, idea. Yeah. Like the majority of the film is shot in, in one specific location and that's it. Mm-hmm. In a continuous period of time mm-hmm. with without long breaks or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's what we mean. Like you okay. probably won't see a title card saying... Five years later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We will leave you all the recommendations in the show notes anyway. Mm-hmm. Now let's dive into Lifeboat. Mm, yeah. Wonderful film. Filmed in a very, very specific way. Yes. Because as you mentioned in your review, you get to be the 10th character. Mm, yeah. So Hitchcock decided to film it in a very specific way. Would you like to tell us how he did it? Yeah, so one thing that I was thinking about as I was watching it was the staging and the positioning of the characters is really, really well done. Mm -hmm. It never feels cumbersome or as though your view of the characters or the action is obstructed. Mm -hmm. Instead, you're always given the perfect point of view. And that can be difficult in a chamber drama because you're working within a confined space. Mm -hmm. And... I can't actually think of a chamber drama that has less of a confined space than this film. Maybe mm. um, Buried, I think, with Ryan oh. Reynolds. Mm. But that's a good example. I was impressed by how he managed to maintain the audience's connection with the characters all the time. And one of the ways that he did that was he had several different versions of the boat made <laughs> in order to facilitate better shot construction yeah. and composition of you know everything together it yeah. really um so he yeah he had four boats made i think two were the regular lifeboat i don't know why he had two models of them might have been maybe just for different shots could have been or yeah, different angles, moments of the film whatever yeah. uh. and he then had other the other two boats bisected so one uh, lengthways and one Crossways. So that's how he got around that potential obstacle in his filming. He uh, was actually obsessed with storyboarding. And he often said that he was bored making the film because he almost felt as though they'd already made it Mm. in the storyboarding process. Mm. So he'd meticulously align how he would get the shot, how he'd cut to the next scene, how he would move from one shot to the other. Mm -hmm. And so when it actually came to making it, it was just a laborsome process where he had to just do what he had already done in theory. Mm-hmm. But as well as the staging, his understanding of how to move the camera, you can really see that this is a guy that has his roots in the silent film era. Mm. He's got a really good understanding of how to communicate visually mm-hmm. as opposed to relying on dialogue or... Special effects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, and there are no, no special effects at all. Although, mm. I mean, they must have done... Something because they filmed this in the studio. No, but the, there time. are some. It's just that it's nothing that takes away from the story itself. Exactly. Like there's all the explosions and uh, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But that's not the point of the mm-hmm. film. Like yeah. the film could exist without them. Yeah. Even though they're not pure, natural, and found uh, on the spot in real life, mm-hmm. obviously, because it's filmed in a set, as you said. Now that we talked about the more formal aspects of Lifeboat, let's move towards talking about the themes of this movie as something that many people who are a little bit familiar with Hitchcock's work mm-hmm. is that he often uses the same themes mm-hmm. 
So it's, I suppose it's a twofold question. So what are the themes and how do you think they relate to the work of Hitchcock as a whole? All right. Well, okay, that's a good question. Um, definitely there's a theme prominent in this film mm-hmm. that I would say was unusual mm. for a Hitchcock movie, mm. which is that of nature. Mm. You don't often see the power of nature in Hitchcock's films. They're often very plot oriented yeah very urban as well exactly yes exactly Mm -hmm. but in this in in lifeboat he showcases the power of nature and i think he does it in order to make the human concerns seem really trivial Mm. and small so all of the anger and the aggression and the conflicts that are happening inside of this boat they're juxtaposed with the immense waves that are threatening to drown them all and annihilate their lifeboat and smash it to bits. Mm. And actually there's a line in the film said by Willy, the German who is brought onto the boat. As a prisoner. As a prisoner. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's the guy that sunk their ship. So there's a moral dilemma there. Yeah. It's also the one who knows more about ships. Mm. So yes. that's an interesting power structure. But what were you saying? Yeah. yeah no, but you're right, though, because the, the power dynamic does show itself there where he says you guys you're so concerned about yourselves you should be thinking about the boat Mm. i think the line is emblematic of the issues that are contemporary at the time which was that of demagoguery and populism allowing let's say nefarious types to get into power Mm. so whilst everybody is battling each other for really trivial reasons like things like over a game of poker mm-hmm. while they're doing that their quote-unquote enemy mm. has taken control of the ship and mm. the ship itself is about to be sunk by a massive storm that's approaching mm. i don't know I, I read that as being social commentary on how nations are falling into the wrong hands and whilst people are off doing other things almost sink under the way that the country is being run very poorly and as a result world war ii happens for Mm, example mm -hmm. hitler and mussolini rise to power because they promise certain things to the people they direct their attention elsewhere and in the meantime things fall by the wayside and you come to the brink of annihilation Mm. So, okay, you mentioned the power of nature Mm -hmm. as a theme that is really prominent, but that is not normally used in Hitchcock's work. And even in this case, I would say it's still used in juxtaposition with the triviality of uh, human problems. Mm. (laughs) So it's still about humans in a sense. It's just that it shows you how humans get caught up in really trivial things by using a much bigger force, which normally Mm. he doesn't care for, which is nature. Actually, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you're right. I think I was wrong in saying that he doesn't pay attention to nature or have it as a theme in his other films because in The Birds, I think one of the underlying themes is the vengeful mm-hmm. aspect of nature. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think he even said that in an interview, but I can't really remember. But, you know, there's this idea that in The Birds, the principal characters are very self-interested and arrogant and... So there's a bit of common ground there. Yeah, I think you can probably compare them um, on that respect, how nature is a punitive force Mm -hmm. that punishes people for their 
lack of foresight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's nature used to showcase a specific aspect of human nature, in mm. a sense. Okay. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. very well put. That's interesting. And then you mentioned social commentary because mm. of the time period the film was shot. Yes, mm -hmm. and actually, because of the time period, his portrayal of Willy, the German, the German mm -hmm. captain of the U-boat, mm -hmm. that caused quite a stir, and mm. it was pretty contentious because it was, you know, rather a sympathetic portrayal of a Nazi. To some extent. Yeah, to some extent. People were very annoyed by that because they disliked the notion that uh, he wasn't a monstrous character and very visibly evil and all of that. Yeah. What you just said there makes me think of the ending of the movie or anyway, the last scene of the movie where the young German soldier is brought to the boat. Mm -hmm. on, like he's brought on the boat. Mm -hmm because of the explosion that destroyed the ship he was on. Mm -hmm. I think also his portrayal is quite human. Yeah, you know, frightened. Yeah, exactly. Like Because yes, he does act in a violent way because he, he picks up his gun, mm -hmm. uh, but he's sure that they are going to kill him because he's German and they're not. No, they're also talking about throwing him to the sharks. Exactly. So good reason. And I find that very interesting because there's other moments within the movie where they point out that the German soldier is exactly a German soldier. So he is respecting orders mm. that he was given. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's so, something that Connie Porter says, played mm -hmm. by Tallulah Bankhead. Mm -hmm. She says, you know, he's just fighting for his country, same as you. Mm. And I imagine that line didn't go down well in some audiences in America. Yeah. Anywhere in Europe. Really. No, exactly. Yeah, but it's... It, and that is very interesting because it's true mm -hmm. and also very understandable why it wouldn't mm -hmm. cause a positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. why people would think of this line as quite controversial. But now that 80 years passed, we can see it yeah. uh, from a different point of view, which is also interesting. And quite ahead of its time, even. Yeah, definitely. For some things, anyway. <laughs> Okay, we talked about some themes in relation to Lifeboat and also in relation to his more complete body of work. Are there any other themes that you think are important to be mentioned right now? I think what makes the film important is his total control of form. Mm. So the cinematic medium, it's incredibly enjoyable to watch. I think I mentioned the camera work earlier. I don't know if I brought attention to his use of the dolly zoom, mm. how... He moves in and out of an interaction and it makes you feel like you're the 10th person yeah. on the boat, which, yeah, it was incredible. You always feel like you're present for the action and nothing is obstructed or cut off. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's a very immersive film, mm, yeah. mm, which is not always true when you think of other movies from the 40s. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So another theme that features in the film is the fact that characters can't really trust each other, which is something that mm, is present in many other films by the same director. How do you think that manifests in Lifeboat? Yeah, you're right. It does come across. It is a theme in most of Hitchcock's work. You're mm -hmm. never entirely sure which character is the villain, which mm. one is the hero. Mm -hmm. And... He does that really well in Lifeboat as well, with very, very little. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's a testament to why this film is such a good chamber drama. Mm. The fact that he manages to maintain this aspect of suspense in, I mean, such a closed environment over a period of days at sea, 
is really impressive. Mm. He's got a really good understanding of the power of images and how to use them, how to communicate them. You can really tell that, particularly in how the German, he's holding a compass. Mm. And that doesn't sound suspenseful, yet Mm. the way that Hitchcock conveys that, it is. The fact that he um, is holding a compass in his hand is suspenseful. Mm -hmm. Um, A pair of hands reaching on the side of the boat. He's just got a really good understanding of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also John Kovac, and you're not entirely sure if he can be trusted either because he's got a short temper. Yeah. And as well as that, other characters in the boat as well soon demonstrate that they are being pushed their limit. So whether or not they can be trusted is, you know, it's neither here nor there. You, you're not entirely sure. Okay. In light of everything we talked about so far, We mentioned already before that this movie came out 80 years ago, which is a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Why do you think is it still influential today or worth watching anyway? Well, it's definitely a really influential chamber drama. So there's a lot of fantastic writing on display. Mm -hmm. And if anyone is trying to write a Mm -hmm. chamber drama, there's a whole wealth of information and techniques that you can learn from this film. Um, you can see its influence on cinema as a whole. I remember Tarantino, when he was talking about how he wrote Reservoir Dogs and where he got inspiration for that, mm. and he said the two main inspirations he got were The Thing from 1982 mm-hmm. and Key Largo, which I think came out in 1947. But he just as easily could have drawn inspiration from Lifeboat. Mm. There's somebody in the crew who can't be trusted, and you're not entirely sure who it is yeah. or why. So, I mean, that's a perfect example of the influence that Lifeboat has had on contemporary cinema. Okay, well, that was my last question, but do you have any other conclusive remarks on Lifeboat? Anything you would like to share? Again, in our last episode, we spoke about how character mm-hmm. and human emotion is mm-hmm. incredibly important for action films. Yeah. You can see the exact same thing in a lifeboat. Hitchcock's movies are really often plot-oriented, mm. and so as a result, character often is left by the wayside. It's, I, mean, I don't think that his characters are flat at all, mm. but they may not exactly be three-dimensional or very uh, you know, explored in depth. But in Lifeboat, the content of the script is almost entirely character Mm. and there isn't a plot per se they're just at sea waiting to be rescued trying to get to Bermuda if they can Mm. Uh, but so all of the interactions and all of the drama is built on the backs of these characters that's a really good way of putting it which brings us back to what we were saying about uh, chamber dramas also working as plays Mm. so where dialogue has a lot more weight than it would have in a different movie genre Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation on Lifeboat. This concludes our episode as well. And if you liked it and you want to check out Connell's review, you can find it on Framerated. The link for that will be in the show notes as well, but it's also framerated.co.uk. I'll also give you a link for that on our website, which is themonochromepictureshow.com. And we will see you next week when we'll be talking about Das Boot. Mm. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. So thank you so much for listening to us. Leave us a review 
wherever you're listening to this podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Bye.